0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Developer Team. My name is Jonathan Cottrell, and in today's episode, I interview Tony Hillerson. Tony is a developer at MabQuest. Tony also wrote Seven Mobile Apps in Seven Weeks. The book details the process of Tony building seven different mobile apps with seven different frameworks. We talk all about that process in today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Rollbar. With Rollbar, you can detect, diagnose, and defeat Errors. We'll talk more about what Rollbar has to offer Developer T listeners later on in today's episode. While you're listening to today's episode, make sure you tweet at Tony Hillerson. That's T Hillerson, T H I L L E R S O N, and let him know how much you appreciate him being on Developer T. Let's get into the interview with Tony Hillerson. Welcome to the show, Tony.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun.
0: I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm really, really interested to talk to you because you are the author of one of my favorite concepts of books, uh, specifically the 7 in 7 series. Uh, First, I want you to talk about what inspired you to write the book.
1: So this this book, this particular instance of, or in the series, the 7 in 7 series is called Seven Mobile Apps in Seven Weeks. And I'm right there with you. I I would have never expected to be one of the authors of one of the seven and seven books because it's really a uh, it is it's the perfect concept I think for that type of um for, for that type of medium. It's uh, um the the idea of polyglot a polyglot program polyglot programmer and the the format of diving deep into a couple different features. Over uh, three days is kind of for anybody who's not not familiar with the the series. Um, three days uh, spent diving deep into the features of, of of a language or database platform, or in or in this case, a mobile platform like iOS, Android, React Native, um, and then seven of those stacked up um, really lets you do um, a comparison of the different technologies involved, and also. Um, work at your own pace and then also have a springboard to go forward and and continue on um, with your investigations after that so um, I guess the question was um, where did I get the concept from I think I, w- I was already primed to like to see the the world in through that lens when thinking about um, developing a uh, um, like some material about comparing, Uh, technologies and and then put that together with um, me working with multiple mobile projects over the years um, having to answer the question, uh, you know, which platform should we develop for first? How should we um, think about platform X compared to the one that we would rather develop on? Usually that was, hey, let's let's start on iOS and then think about Android after. Um, And then also clients wanting to Cut down on cost, they thought, by by um, using a cross-platform technology instead. What are the trade-offs there? Um, that experience just kind of—I just wish there was a book for this for this kind of thing. So many times that I finally just kind of wrote it.
0: Yeah, it's like the best kinds of startups are the ones that are created for people who need them themselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. you wrote the book for yourself. You find an itch and you scratch it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's the same reason I created Developer T. So. Uh, I totally uh, understand that motivation. So, uh, so we're going to talk about the book more in depth. But let's talk about the concept of the seven and seven series. How does it work? How does somebody follow along uh, with the seven and seven and and get the most out of it?
1: So, uh, I, there's probably a different, different approaches to following along because it's, it's a bit flexible, but the idea is this, you have seven technologies in a certain, uh, I guess, technological theme. For instance, the first book was called seven languages in seven weeks. Um, and that, that really sort of broke out in the market and everybody kind of said, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. And I think this, the, that's inspired other people to try to put things into the series. Um, for instance, myself, the idea is you take seven technologies, um, languages, database, uh, technologies, mobile technologies, and you um, say you're going to focus for a week on this technology, and then you're going to um, move on to the next technology um, You know, at, at whatever pace you'd like. You can, you can cram it into seven weeks uh, total, or you can spread it out ho- however your schedule dictates. Um, but the, the week is broken into three days. So it's actually three days instead of, you know, seven days in a week to give you time to do a little bit more of self-study, I think. So you start out generally, um, the, the, you're not taken through, like, here's how to set the thing up. You're expected to do that as kind of a prerequisite, but you start out, um, investigating some features and, and playing around with it a little bit, you know, however, whatever makes sense for the type of technology you're dealing with. And then um, that day finishes out, you've accomplished a few things over the day. And then you um, are presented with a set of like, try these things on your own. Here's some documentation to look into. Um, here is a couple different challenging steps that you might take as, as next steps of, of varying levels of, of challenge. And then uh, you can go on to the next day after that,
0: yeah, and so I'm looking through the book, and uh, Tony was kind enough to send uh, send me a, a kind of an advanced copy here, the pre edit copy. Which, by the way, it doesn't seem all that pre edited. Like it doesn't seem like it hasn't been edited yet. <laughs> it's very close um, uh, from what I can tell. But uh, so it's this is going to be a fantastic book. I'm looking at the at the different uh, platforms that you're using and the structure. So uh, I'm going to give something away, assuming it's okay to give this away. Go for it. Um, so part part one, or I guess part zero, day zero, is setting up the API. And this is something that I absolutely love about the way this book is structured. The book is structured to have an API that already takes care of a lot of the, uh, uh, we'll call it the data and business logic side of things. Okay. So uh, imagine that you already have an application running uh, a data application and then you're trying to build a a mobile app on top of that. And the reason why I love this is because it doesn't just give you like the, the intro level hello world kind of stuff for those different native platforms. instead, it actually shows you how to connect to an API, which is the stuff that we're actually doing, right? And so for for a lot of beginner tutorials in these different areas, you're going to see applications that are really just the intro level. But with this kind of setup, when you have an API already available to you uh, with various functionality, really cool, by the way, (laughs) the little API that you built for this, Tony. Um, But when you have that setup, you can start learning more and deeper functionality that you're probably going to actually use in the real world much, much earlier, uh, and so I really like that because it gives you more of an in-depth picture of these seven different platforms on day one.
1: Yeah, you got it. That, I'm I'm really glad I didn't have to prompt you to say that. That's that's exactly my thoughts too. Like I didn't. So, right sizing the project that we go through for each technology through over over the over the week was tough to think about. Without some pre work done, and I didn't. I, I wanted to make it, you know, that much more than a toy app, without getting into too complex of functionality. And then obviously, in the time that you've that you have allotted in each week, there's no way to go and say, okay, for this first day, we're going to jump into Rails or something, and then build an API so that we actually have something to hit. So I just decided I'm going to do that first. And exactly like you said, um, that gives us the opportunity to not only play around with um, code on the client, like we're going to build some views and we're going to see how view um, hierarchies work and navigation work on these platforms. But we're also going to make some web requests because everybody's got to do that. So I wanted to go through, you know, here's some points that I want to hit on every platform. What does your day, What is your day going to look like um, when you're... When you're out and developing in this this technology afterwards, you're going to have to pull down data from the web, and you're going to have to transform it from JSON into native objects, and you're going to have to um, figure out the the right way to to pull that down and to accomplish all of that, and then put it on a screen. So um, that's kind of uh, that, that 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 activity is going to take place on each of the seven platforms.
0: That's so key. Uh, I feel like this is something that is underserved. Um, In in the tutorials and really sometimes even in the platform itself, uh, save for a few of these platforms, the the JSON, like pulling down JSON data, doing something with it. I feel like that is the new Hello World standard, right? Um, So I really appreciate that you actually built that in as kind of the, uh, this is what we do on day one to learn about this thing. And you know maybe you're maybe you want to learn about uh, text output, but really, I mean, you can do a text output thing in about twenty minutes with <laughs> pretty much any of these things, um, any of these platforms. So I really, I really like that a lot. And uh, not just for seven and seven, but if you are listening to this uh, episode and you're wanting to learn a language, for example. Um, I would recommend that you have some kind of, you know, a good example of this is the JavaScript MVC, the to-do apps, uh, the MVC to-do or whatever it is that it's called. I can't remember exactly what it's called. I'll, I'll include it in the show notes uh, to make sure they get the name right. But uh, the idea is to perform these functions and show them in these different platforms uh, and perform the same like functional requirements in each scenario. So it goes beyond just how do I get standard output from this thing? Or how do I, you know, write to a web page? How do I do a a web request? It goes a little bit further. How do I do a web request and then turn around and do something with that data? And then, um, you know, in response, do another web request. So it's really interesting to see that as as the setup for learning Um, I would say it's a good template for learning this stuff. You don't have to just learn about uh, the the stuff that Tony has written about in this book in this particular manner. Set this up as a way of learning for yourself and see how it works.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, um, those day-to-day problems that you have to solve might vary a bit from you know, I, I'm just pulling data out of a database and putting it onto some sort of view, or I have to solve some more computer science types problems in my day to day job. But there's there's some core set of those things that you're gonna have to do no matter what language it is. Um, you know, you you might ask around. I guess I think that's a good that's a good good way to come up with that list. Like, what should I do when I'm kicking the tires? Not just mm-hmm. like write Hello World, but what what should I do that I'm gonna have to do with this this technology in my day-to-day job, am I going to have to, uh, you know, am I going to have to mangle text? What does it look like to, to do regex in, in this technology? What does it look like to make a web request? Like we've been talking about those, get a list of those things and keep them handy for when you try out a new technology. Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, this is why I recommend going and actually building a project with something when you're trying to learn it. Build very small things with this stuff, but build something that's actually functional, that has a suite of features. So then you can see how, you know, let's say you have multiple classes, for example, or multiple uh, models in your in your app or whatever it is, um, but you don't need like a, an entire structure. You need a few things that interact with each other. You need a few features that impact other features, so you can see what is the structure of this code, um, and, and then that gives you an idea of what it looks like to continue building features on top of that. You know, have more than one view. For example, that's a really simple rule of thumb. If you're trying something else, that's like a framework, for example, uh, you need to have more than one view to see what it means to
1: create multiple views in that particular uh, framework. Yep, exactly, and. And think about separation of concerns like like following an MVC pattern or something like that, instead of where you might end up in a tutorial program like let's just shove it all in the view controller type thing. Um, and, and then you're gonna get an idea of what the language is like. I'm, that's that's fine. But like what where is it where is that gonna break down? Uh, you know, obviously that's not gonna scale. What are you gonna do next? How, what do people do to solve these kind of problems? Are there patterns out there you can you can look for and then, and then stretch it a little bit.
0: This is probably one of those problems that's, that's very persistent amongst people who are reading kind of beginner tutorials uh, for MVC frameworks. For example, uh, let's say you use Sinatra, which is not necessarily an MVC framework, but it's a Ruby, kind of a micro framework, right? If you read most, most Sinatra tutorials, they only show that app.rb file. And I've seen a lot of Sinatra apps that are literally just one super long file. And I think the problem is people are missing the point if they do that. And people end up actually doing the wrong thing uh, if, if they are just looking at the that sim, that simple tutorial about how to get started. There's that secondary scale, right? Where most applications, most applications live uh, one scale level up. Now, you don't need to be looking towards scaling to a million users on day 10. <laughs> that's silly. Uh, but you do need to be looking to scaling your code base to make it manageable. And that's really what that level of scale is about, is what you said, Tony, the, the separation of concerns. You know, a lot of people don't don't think about that until they're starting to get into that situation where they're trying to scale for the users, and the problem is you can't respond fast enough if your code is a mess.
1: Yeah, you've got to think about, you know, you know your way around the code base. But what happens when two other people get on here? How are you going to split up the work? How can you have multiple streams of work um, adding features to this? It's, you know, obvious, obviously it's going to break if there's just one file. What what, what uh, What's next beyond just like, it, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, I think it was xkcd they had some it was a it was a cartoon uh, okay i want to explain xkcd i'll assume people know xkcd um but he talked about like writing a, a program that looked up the answer on stack overflow and implemented it as as like the the, the development environment like um i want to do this it looks up on stack overflow implements the code from stack overflow and then you've got what you need
0: uh, I think it was stack overflow influenced or uh, stack overflow yes. driven development.
1: Yes, yes, that's the one. Yeah, I mean when you get something off the web and it took you 2 seconds to find it or go through the tutorial, you should value it at that rate. <laughs> you know, yeah, you got, yeah. got to you have to got to, to go a little bit further. It might be a specific answer that you need to interpret and 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 use your your skills as a developer to go beyond, you know, just just that quick and easy answer.
0: And Tony, I'll even go one step further. You mentioned that uh, that you know you have to worry about other people coming in that don't know your code base. Well, a similar problem is if you're like me, you work in an agency environment and you switch to a different code base for a period of time and then you return to your own code base and it's like a stranger wrote it, right? Yeah, what, who, uh, so who
1: wrote this? This is, oh, it's me.
0: It was me. <laughs> you go to the get blame if, <laughs> if you're trying to figure it out. and And the problem is, Um, you know, if you haven't documented that code or if you haven't in some way followed uh, some kind of convention or pattern or something, uh, you're going to be just as lost as an an external dev would would be. So, um, you know, it's really important to think about that stuff, especially if you're working with multiple people and especially if you're working on multiple projects.
1: Yep. And that's part of that's part of kicking the tires on a new technology. How do I think about organizing? How, how, how would they like me to think about organizing this? How would the creators or if they, have they given me nothing? And do am I going to need to apply some reasonable says? So, so that's that's one thing I found with. Um, I've always played around with the web web technologies, but never too far onto the 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 view side in that's, that's been more on the, on, on, on side projects and things like that. So never like production level. So every, you know, everything I've done, there's been small and, and easy to say, well, that, that's okay. I don't need to go too far in that. But that I really, it really came through to me, um, doing the web chapter, the mobile web chapter for this book, um, how there's nobody to, or there's, there's either nobody to tell you, um, what to do and you've got to figure it out by yourself because the platform and the technology and the tool don't really um, give you a good structure for organizing your product or your project sorry um, and or there's like a million voices telling you what to do so you've got to because everybody's got an opinion on it because there's not really a strong way as opposed to like a Java project it's going to end up looking like this if you pick Gradle or something like that mm-hmm. so yeah. you have to that's one of the things you've got to think about. Um, and, uh, you know, web, you've got to go find out what do people think about organizing or using NPM? What, what sort of uh, structure that does that sort of impose on my code? Is there a structure that people like to use? Um, are people going to be familiar with this if I pick a structure and they come in on the project? Uh, or are they going to be confused and, and argue with me about how it's organized or something like that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, so uh, something interesting about what you're saying, and there's probably a developer who's listening right now who says, uh, well, but I don't really, you know, I want to be creative with the way that I, that I code, right? Like, you know, the whole code is poetry idea. That's fine if that's what you want to do with your code. Uh, but here's the thing. You can be expressive in your code and still have a conventional structure, right? You can be uh, expressive and maybe even clever sometimes with your code and still have a conventional structure. Don't try to express yourself through, you know, some some crazy off-the-wall structure in your code that you came up with over the weekend. It's probably going to end poorly for you. Um, I know that sounds really strongly opinionated, and there's not a lot of times where on the show I'm going to be strongly opinionated, but you're not the only one that's going to write for this particular application if it's successful. So if you care about the success of the application, then write it for all of the people who are going to be working on it, not just for yourself. You can go and express yourself on CodePen, or you can go and express yourself you know, on a side project that is entirely meant for... Um, the sake of exploration, but don't go and screw up everybody else's day by, by being creative with the structure of your code. It's not going to be worth it in the long run. You can actually be expressive in the code ex- itself, uh, and I think you'll find over time that you'll be much happier with code that is not simply expressive, but is also readable by other people, that other people appreciate, because you're going to be able to do more and do more quickly um, with code that is simple and not clever, but instead much easier to extend. Extensible is the idea here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, creativity always has to happen within a framework. There, There's constraints help creativity, and you don't want to be creative with, the, with conventions, like conventions that everybody's going to subscribe to, like try to find the conventions, stick with them, be creative with, with the problem solving.
0: Exactly, yeah, I think... Uh, that that is a pervasive issue that uh, if you figure that out now, it's going to help you in your career in the long run. And this show is primarily targeted towards people who are who are coding for a career, not for fun and uh, also coding because they enjoy it. okay? so if you want to keep the career side of that equation, uh, you have to think about other people. You have to code that in in such a way that you're thinking about other people. so, uh, keep that in mind as you go forward. I
1: think, yeah, you're not. Uh, um, it's not bad to go and see what is everybody else doing when it comes to something like, when it comes to something that everybody's going to be doing, like organize adding to the adding to yeah. the code base. Follows an organization. I want to know what everybody's doing, or mm-hmm. the majority of the market, or the majority of people are doing, so that they're going to feel comfortable in the code base because I want to grow the business and hire people and, and be able to scale the code base, you know? Exactly.
0: Well, and you, you gain economies of scale here. So really simple example, don't rename your package JSON to something special for your company, right? Like uh, that, this is a, a, a very simple example, dumbed down, as far as possible because it's something that I was tempted to do when I was younger I wanted to say oh this isn't just a normal package json this is my npm package json for this particular type of project and I'm going to reconfigure and add my own stuff in here and then you know hack around and make things my own and that's that's not going to give you the economies of scale like for example if you upload it to github and it has a package.json in it, it's possible that GitHub will link you directly to that package if it knows that it's a package.json file. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I'll leave a link in the show notes that shows you about uh, uh, NPM's package model and how NPM handles uh, dependencies. But you know that's the kind of thing that isn't really, you're not really gaining a lot of expressive value out of simply renaming a file or a yep, folder. Agreed. Today's episode is sponsored by Rollbar. With Rollbar, you get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster. You know, dealing with errors sucks. We've mentioned this on the show before. Of course, Rollbar has been a sponsor for a while now, but this is so true. Dealing with errors, digging through logs, trying to figure out what's going wrong, especially if you have bad exception handling in your app. Uh, All of that is very difficult to do, and Rollbar fixes this problem for you. Rollbar works with all major languages and frameworks, and you can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. So for example, if you push out a new uh, version of your software, you can get an alert in Slack, or you can get it in HebChat, or you can create issues when you have an exception in your application in GitHub or Jira or Asana, All these places that you're already used to using, Rollbar integrates with those. Some of Rollbar's customers include Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Instacart, Zendesk, Twitch, and me at Whiteboard. So go and check out Rollbar. Rollbar has a special offer for you, by the way, and you can get 90 days for free. That's 300,000 errors tracked. 90 days for free. It's called the Bootstrap Plan. Go and check it out, rollbar.com slash developer T, and get a handle on your errors today. That's rollbar.com slash developer T. Thanks again, to Rollbar, for sponsoring developer T. Let's switch gears here. I want to talk to you about uh, the different platforms that you actually used in the book, and then uh, maybe about the, the different apps that you used here. First of all, the API was built on Rails. And Tony, did you build that API?
1: Yes. Uh, it's I. I'm familiar with Rails. It just seemed like the easiest thing. I. I. I didn't expect people to have to get in there and change anything. So I didn't make it too. Uh, I didn't agonize too much about that choice uh, because I don't expect people to have to uh, change it at all. Although it's completely available and you can play around as much as you'd like in there.
0: Yeah, it may actually end up being a good jumping-off point for people who are creating APIs.
1: Yeah, I hope they don't look at it too closely. <laughs> I, I, I solved the I, I solved the problem of of giving myself something to call from the web, basically. But sure, yeah. uh, let's see. I think there's a weather endpoint, and there that provides weather through Yahoo API, and mm-hmm. and a couple of them are Yahoo APIs. Then a financial endpoint. Uh, that returns yeah, stock stocks. data. There's a yep. I uh, uh, I don't have to iterate them all, but yeah, I think they might be. There's probably something interesting to find in there.
0: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so so that first API is set up with Rails, and then you go on to the seven different platforms. And I'm just going to list them all, and then we'll go back and talk about the different apps that you built. Um, but the first one is probably the most interesting decision, and I think a really important statement that you're making here. And that is the mobile web. Uh, and, and you built a, a world clock app with the mobile web. And then you went on to iOS in chapter three, uh, or I guess it's chapter three, part one, chapter three. And then Android is next. Universal Windows platform is next. And you do Ruby Motion and Xamarin. And finally, React Native and that is a wide gamut of, of choices. And, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to read through this because, uh, I'm, I'm interested in each of these for different reasons and for different projects. Um, so, Mm -hmm. so can you give me just a general sense of, of the lay of the land of these different platforms and, uh, you know, what your experience was going through each of these?
1: Yeah. So, uh, when I first, kind of had the idea for this book. It was a while ago, a few years ago. I talked about this with the series editor, um, whose name is Bruce Tate, Bruce Tate. Mm -hmm. He was one of the authors of the original seven uh, languages in seven weeks. Um, and he felt really strongly that web should be one of the, the, the ones that we cover. Uh, and I didn't know how I felt about that at first, but I think it is a good decision. And here's why I think, um, no matter if you choose to have an app experience for whatever your product is, you should have a good mobile experience on your website. So that's that's kind of the, mm, the message yeah. there. And um, my experience there was um, it was a lot of fun to get into the responsive design, which I had, I had, you know, sort of known about and played with on the, the on the, the edges of projects where I'd been involved, but not uh, too much on the. On the uh, view side, um, so the responsive stuff, and then also what I tried to do was make it uh, the project, which is uh, like you mentioned, it's a world clock. Uh, so it's it's just like a list of basically you 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 store a list of time zones in the local storage, and those are the time zones um, uh, turn into clocks on on the UI. Like I tell you what time it is and whatever that 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 uh, time zone was. Um, I tried to make that app as native as possible, or much like a, a native app as is possible. So there's the, the favorite icon. I show how that turns into um, an app-looking type thing when you save it to the desktop on Android or iOS, and how you can use the, uh, the app manifest to store everything offline so that if you're not connected, still, it still has access to the local data that you've stored and all the assets are and 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 library JavaScript uh, li- dependencies are downloaded and available offline. So um, that that's that's kind of the 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 direction of the app. It's it's testing how far can we get this towards a a native app like experience. And yet it's mobile web.
0: That's kind of like a how to build a modern website, <laughs> right?
1: right. Like, yes, yeah. And that's that was the other interest, or the more I guess a more. Um, uh, succinct description of what was interesting to me about the, the responsive design it's the mobile first design so instead of uh, in the in the style sheet um, which'm I'm, I'm bad at I'm horrible at that's this stuff because anything it gets well, as it gets more visual I, I get more confused um, <laughs> but but it's an interesting way to think about it you apply styles such that it works correctly from mobile and then remove those. As the the capabilities of the whatever you're running on um, allow them to, instead of going the other direction, so you don't you don't make the CSS uh, work correctly on the desktop and then start adding things as the screen gets smaller. You work the other direction, and that that was an interesting little exercise for me to learn about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, so. The the concept there, if if whoever is listening to this is unfamiliar with that. Uh, the idea here is is called progressive enhancement and it's where we get that concept of mobile first um, the hope is that anyone who visits the site uh, the website can view it on whatever device they are on so you may have someone viewing it on a, a very old iPhone or Android right um, or you could have someone viewing it on an iPad pro or you could have it have someone viewing it on a small but relatively capable laptop or a massive desktop computer right and there's different capabilities and uh, screen resolutions that come with each of those obviously different screen sizes and uh, there's readability concerns and there's a, a whole host of interesting things to think about when it comes to building for um, basically every device with one code base. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll leave a couple links in the show notes. To talk a little bit more about progressive enhancement, that's not really what today's show is about, but it certainly is relevant, especially since Tony, you covered this this idea in a book about native applications, and I love this concept of reframing uh, reframing the web as a native platform. I, I think that's I think that's totally true.
1: Yeah, I, I I thought about how to organize. By the way, the top level organization. Uh, is I I did the native platforms as I called them first and then or platform native as as I called them. I had to come up with a word. And then cross the <laughs> platform. So web is grouped okay, into yeah. Mm-hmm. native platform. And I, I kind of did a little bit of mental gymnastics there and, and looked at it from a different perspective and thought, you know, web is pretty native. You're gonna find it on every on every desktop, every mobile phone it's not what we, not what everybody means when they say native, all the time. But it's still there. It's going to be available. Um, so, and again, your 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 users should experience have the best experience on your website, no matter what platform, what what device they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, an interesting concept here is the idea that the native viewing device, if you want to call it that, for the web is the browser. And so if you're performing uh, if you're performing remote queries, for example, you're performing a web request, well the browser is directly created for that purpose. You don't have to call up a new code base. the browser is natively built to do web requests. That's what it's made to do. And so that in that way, it is the most native of all things uh, when it comes to connecting to the
1: web. Yep. And I actually, by the way, built the app um, such that it's not, it, it's making us an API request to another endpoint. It's not. Uh, and so then we have to, you know, cover cross-platform script, scripting and that kind of stuff. So yes, that, I, I made it as, as mm-hmm. yep, Stand. I made it as, yeah, you have to add the, I had to, had to add the cores header. Um, I think I actually did that with a little Sinatra app, by the way. Um, but I talk about that and that, that's, that's, that was the kind of the mindset going into it. Let's make this as standalone as possible, not dynamic HTML at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, We won't go into cores because it's kind of a nightmare if it's your first time trying to do a JSON call to fully understand what's going on with cores. But, uh, certainly the book goes into a little bit of detail about what uh, cross origin resource sharing I think is what that stands for c o r s um, and and i'll I'll include a link in the show notes about that as well but uh, that's that's really really interesting I love the separation of the of the two concepts there the uh, native platform or official native platforms versus the the cross platform so uh, let's talk about the official native platforms and then uh, perhaps more interestingly the cross-platform tools
1: yeah um, okay. So I'll just go down the list. iOS was the next week. Um, I, let's see here. I wanted, of course, to make this hundred percent swift, no objective C, um, cause that's the new hotness and it's also a pretty cool language. Um, it's the a- Apple recommended way, right? Yes. But, but I I'm with them. It's, it's a great language because it's, uh, bringing it's, it's an interesting language. It's bringing functional, um, language. It's got a lot of functional language cred, I think. And, and that is a good way to take your career. Uh, you should be, if you don't understand what's going on there you, you should try to figure it out. And it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting mental shift that you have to make if you're coming from a procedural language. Uh, and Swift, I, uh, Swift, the iOS was the first one that I did uh, over a year ago now, <laughs> and Swift through, went through a lot of evolutions. And I I was trying to uh, on the third day in iOS I I build an interest. Uh, it was an interesting sort of exercise in building uh, a web cl- or an HTTP client um, that was a little bit more. I, I used generics to um, to make to make it. Um, So that you can specify what you want the JSON to turn into when you pull it down from an API in terms of a Swift class um, by specifying that as a as a as a as a generic to the call that you're that you make like go get this web resource and I want it to be an instance of this object or an array of this object when it when it's when it comes out the other side so that it's it's probably it's not production ready code and it only implements get I believe. But um, the exercise is to kind of show you um, generics are very important, not, not only in functional languages, but they're very important in functional languages. Type, types are very important in functional languages. So here's how we can use them to our advantage. And, and, and uh, that's, that's sort of the, the, I guess, I don't know, the capstone day um, uh, bit of the iOS project. And that is, that, that's a weather application, by the way. It's, so it pulls down data from the Yahoo weather app. Uh, or weather API and you can uh, check what the weather is like at a certain address zip code something like that very cool
0: yeah and so there's some there's some uh, reverse encoding of of zip codes or whatever that particular API does yes
1: yes so I use not only the the location apis of the iOS platform so that you can you could get the weather at your current location and it it'll turn that into yeah, that's right. It uses the reverse geocoding APIs on, on iOS to turn that into an address, which you pass into the API, then it gives you back the weather results there. But you can also type in an address.
0: Very cool. Um, you mentioned, I want to just kind of hover on this this conversation about Swift for a second. Um, Swift, if you are new to programming, Swift is probably going to be a bit daunting, Um and and I'm I'm not saying that to deter you from using Swift because there are certainly things you can do with Swift especially uh if if you are somewhat familiar with the concepts of coding there are so many features in Swift that uh, the the width of and when I say width I mean the number of types of things that you can do with Swift is much broader than the average language like for example with Ruby you can look at you know, I, I could list the, the maybe 10 to 15 keywords pretty quickly and, uh, and kind of cover most of what the language can do. Now, there are really specific techniques that you can perform with Ruby, um, but, you know, the, the primary building blocks of Ruby are really, it's really not that much, right? And the same could probably be said for JavaScript. And, uh, you know, some of these functional languages, certainly Lisp, for example, um, but, but with Swift, it's, I, in my opinion, it's much, much broader in terms of the number of things that can, it can do. And the syntax is, is not as intuitive, uh, right away as maybe Ruby would, would be in my opinion. What do you think about that, Tony?
1: I, I think, yeah, I think I agree. I think one of the, the, uh, the reasons for that is that it, it they're trying a bit, um, not 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 with the same results i think as something like scala but they are trying to make a multi paradigm language for people who are um coming from different backgrounds to be to feel somewhat comfortable in so you're going to find something they explicitly stated some of the inspirations ruby is an inspiration you know probably for for cleaning up the you know semicolons and stuff like that and then java and c sharp have have uh some influences there too but also the functional languages in scala i think is one that's listed which is another multi-paradigm language so you can in, you can write java in scala and you you know that's the old joke you can write java in whatever language you want but you, that that and that's some of the the uh what i think makes swift a little bit more complex they're trying to make it feel comfortable to a wider audience um but get some of those newer concepts in but they've they've pared back a little bit on some of that stuff as they've evolved the language for instance i think they removed for loops ah oh, interesting and now you only have for in uh i believe uh in in one of the I, i'm not sure which version so they they're trying to get you towards uh, nudging you towards how they think it sh- things should be done and a for loop is definitely like that's that's a procedural concept in a functional language you don't think about that Uh, it's, it's not functional thinking really. So they're, they're trying to like push you a little bit away from some of those things as they go on. And it's, it's interesting to watch the language grow, but definitely I agree. It is a, it's a more complex language.
0: Yeah, certainly. I'm doing a lot of studying on JavaScript and, um, there's a lot of retroactive adding of things to JavaScript that I think, um, if JavaScript were to be designed today, it would look a little bit more like Swift in my opinion. Um, so that, so that's just some, some food for thought for those of you who are trying to decide what languages or language you want to look into next. Uh, Swift is, Swift is definitely an interesting one and, um, very powerful. Certainly. I wouldn't say that the, the ecosystem for Swift has evolved. Uh, this is, by the way, this is kind of a strangely technical deep dive right now. It's out of the ordinary for developer T, but, um, I've been thinking about swift quite a bit uh, since since it was released I think it's a very interesting opportunity uh, but but I'm looking forward to what happens in the open source community with swift now that the if I'm if I'm not mistaken the compiler is open source correct
1: yeah it's it's uh, well, uh actually the compiler is I'm not sure I'm not sure how to answer that it, it because clang is i believe part of the the tool chain so i'm not sure if that's the compiler or what i'm i'm speaking a little out of turn here but the the, the swift is open source as a language so there's there's already been accepted uh community um pull requests to the language um sure
0: yeah. So in other words, you could you could take Swift and then do like a Swift compile to JavaScript or something like that if you really wanted to.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what what things have been contributed, but there are contribute contributions going in. So that's a really cool move by Apple, and it's it's definitely something to watch. And and that you know, the the possibilities are interesting. Now you can have Swift code on the the server side, and then there was this announcement. Who knows how real it is, but but there's this rumor that Android is considering Swift as possibly a, a, a first-class language on the Android platform.
0: Ah, very interesting. Yeah, that is, a, so that's a perfect segue into, uh, into the Android app that you built. It's a currency conversion app. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Developer Tea. In the next episode, we will dive directly into talking about that currency conversion app that Tony made for Android. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And thank you again to Rollbar for sponsoring Developer T today. With Rollbar, you can put errors in their place. And you can get up and running in just a few minutes with Rollbar. It's incredibly easy, incredibly powerful, and I use it. You should check it out, rollbar.com slash developer tea. And of course, that will get you the bootstrap plan free for 90 days. That's 300,000 errors tracked for free. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to tweet at Tony, that's T Hillerson on Twitter. That link and all of the other links from today's episode can be found in the show notes at spec.fm. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, enjoy your tea.